It was the 1920s in rural Indiana. The Depression had not yet rocked America. John Wooden was a young boy growing up on a farm, a high school student who loved basketball, but who was about to meet the real love of his life. I noticed this one little gal, and uh, I didn't know but she had noticed me too, but I didn't know that. And uh, somehow on the first day of classes, my freshman year, we happened to be in the same class, and I knew right then. And uh, we knew we were going to be married uh, the time I got out of high school. And uh, uh, August 8th, it would have been 70 years, just last August 8th, that we'd have been married. Today, you'll hear the first part of a conversation with a man who grew up to be one of the greatest coaches of all time as we talk about his faith, his family, and basketball. Stay tuned as we talk with Coach John Wooden on Family Life Today. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Wednesday edition. I I can't help but smile as I listen to that excerpt from our interview with Coach John Wooden. Of course, a lot of people are smiling right about now because this is the time of the year when March Madness really takes over. There is a lot of basketball ahead for us. Semis are this weekend, Final Four on Monday. Got to bring back lots of memories for you from your college days, doesn't it? Well, high school. You know, uh, going back to high school, Bob, those were my glory days. My my college days, I had several splinters. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on the bench, huh? I uh, got the 15th uniform out of 15 in college. Uh, I learned what it was like to be a substitute. But your team almost went to the Final Four, didn't it? Well, not the Final Four. <laughs> we almost went to the Junior College National Championships in um, Kansas. And yeah. I'm trying to remember where in Kansas. But that's right? like the Final Four for junior colleges, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, I started that game. Yeah. The last game of my college career, I started. Poured in, what, 15, 20 points? Now, now, now wait a second. Hold it just one second. Okay. Because they put me on an All-American. This is a true story. The coach had watched me. It was the only game I started in my college career. Right. But my coach was was so impressed with me never quitting and just staying out there and being tenacious. Yeah. He started me, and he put me on the quickest guy I've ever played against. Man-to-man defense. Man-to-man defense. And did you know when when I left the game in the first half, I played about, uh, oh, I don't know, six or seven minutes. Right. I had scored more points. Than the All-American. Than the All-American. And the reason was this. He was so fast, and I was so slow. He would fake three or four times, and by the time I had taken his first fake, I was back to where he was really going. (laughs) And so (laughs) I would post up underneath the bucket, and the guy didn't like to play defense. Right. And I'd post up on him and score. And so when I left the game, I had actually scored more points than him. Now, some of our listeners are wondering, what are you talking about Dennis's glory days of basketball and family life? Because we don't, we don't really have anything else to talk about today. <laughs> no, that's not true. We have a guest today, well, Bob, a dream of mine. And I sent you a, a note one day. I said, Bob, you know, you know one of the people I would really like in all the world to interview for Family Life Today and for our listeners and give them a glimpse of what a great human being he is. What many have described as the greatest coach of any sport mm-hmm. of all time. Right. 
Coach John Wooden. Now, there are a number of our listeners who have no idea who John Wooden is, That's right? but a ton do. Coach Wooden coached the UCLA Bruins back in the 60s and the 70s. Well, actually, he started coaching in 1948. That's what most people don't realize is he didn't build that national championship dominant team in the 60s and 70s. He built it in obscurity mm-hmm. beginning in 1948 throughout all the 50s and the early 60s before he won his first national championship in 1964. And after he won his first one, then he won his second and his third and his fourth and his fifth and his sixth. Over a 12-year period, he won 10 national championships. That's right, including winning 88 games in a row mm-hmm. before they were knocked off at the Houston Astrodome. And I remember watching this game as a young man, where uh, Lou Alcindor was playing against Elvin Hayes, and uh, Houston beat him, 71-69, <laughs> and uh, the Astrodome had like 49,000 people in it. It was nationally televised. It was an event, and there are few coaches that could claim of the accomplishments that uh, in any sport of what he has accomplished, but in basketball... He's uh, he's the ultimate. Well, we're going to hear a little bit about that game and about a lot of other games as we talk with Coach Wooden over the next few days. A while back, you and I sat down with him uh, in a studio in Los Angeles and just had a, a great opportunity to uh, find out about the man who grew up to be the coach. Here is part one of our conversation with Coach John Wooden. Tell us about life in the Wooden household when you were growing up as a young lad. We had a small farm, but I... Uh... Learned a lot, I think, of things that helped me later on. You had to work hard. Dad uh, thought there was time for play, but always after the chores and the studies were done. And Dad would read to us every night from the scriptures and a lot of poetry. And I think that uh, created love of poetry, which I've always had, like the devil in a little bit. Uh, my dad was a wonderful person. He, um, I never heard him say, uh, I never heard him speak an ill word of anybody. Never blamed anybody for anything. I never heard him use a word of profanity. I think that his reading to us of a night later uh, caused all four sons to uh, get through college, although he had no financial means to help and there were no athletic scholarships. All four sons graduated from college and all majored or minored in English and all got advanced uh, degrees. And I think... Uh, Dad had a lot to do with that. Your uh, your dad had, as you've already mentioned, a profound impact uh, on your life. Uh, in fact, uh, I was so looking forward to this interview with you because I've quoted you uh, about something that you said you carried around in your pocket. Or it, first of all, was carried around in your, your father's pocket. Is that right? And then you started carrying it around. It was your dad's creed and then a poem by uh, a pastor by the name of Henry Van Dyke. My father gave to me when I graduated from high school, from, uh, no, excuse me, from grade school, from the eighth grade, he gave me a uh, $2 bill, one of those large $2 bills, and said, son, if you, as long as you keep this, you'll never be broke. And, uh, <laughs> uh, then he also um, gave me a card, and on un- one side was uh, a verse by uh, Reverend Van Dyke that said, Four things a man must learn to do if he would make his life more true. To think without confusion clearly, to love his fellow man sincerely, to act from honest motives purely, to trust in God and heaven securely. And on the other side was a seven-point creed. And the seven-point creed uh, 
consisted of, first of all, I think it was be true to yourself. And I think we know if we're true to ourselves, we'll be being true to others. Mm-hmm. And the second was help others. And there's no greater joy that a person can have than do something for someone else, especially when you do it with no thought of something in return. Uh, another one was make friendship a fine art. Work at it. Don't take it for granted. Work at making friends and making friendship flourish. And uh, then was um, one that I think stood out to me uh, a great deal was make each day your masterpiece. And I tried to teach from that as time went by to my players and my English students to just try and do the best you can each day. Um, just make each day your masterpiece. It's the only only thing over which you have control. You have no control over yesterday. That'll never change. The only way you can affect tomorrow is today. And then another one was to uh, uh, drink deeply from good books, especially the Bible. Hmm. And then was um, uh, build a shelter against a rainy day. And, and he wasn't thinking about a a physical shelter. He was thinking about a more lasting shelter. When I think about that, I often think of when Socrates was uh, uh, unjustly imprisoned and, and was facing imminent death, and uh, the jailers, who were mean people, they, they couldn't understand his serenity, and they said, why aren't you preparing for death? And, and his statement was, I've been preparing for death all my life, but the life I've led. And when I think of building a shelter against a rainy day, I think that's what Dad had in mind. And then uh, the last was, the seventh was, um, give thanks for your blessings and pray for guidance every day. And I've carried that uh, with me uh, in one form or another uh, uh, since those days, yes. Those core convictions are are so bedrock with you. That's a part of how your mom and dad raised you. I think some people, we hear those things here in the 21st century, and some people go, that sounds kind of old-fashioned, kind of corny. But that's so ingrained into who you are and who you've been, and and you would say that's been a part of what has made you successful as a coach, right? Well, I would hope so, but I I know, too, as someone said, I'm not what I ought to be, not what I want to be, not what I'm going to be, but I think those things have made me better than I would have been. (laughs) (laughs) Your dad uh, read the Bible every day. Yes, he did. How, um, How did you see him live out his faith in Christ? every day as a father. What are the most indelible memories that you have as a boy watching your dad? Because undoubtedly, for him to have the influence he had on you as a man, uh, his character has to resonate even today uh, uh, in your life. Perhaps I wasn't realizing it at the time, but as I look back on my dad uh, and, and the fact that he never uh, spoke an ill word of anyone and... and uh, just was a good person, uh, and you don't realize it so much of the time. And many of the things that one of the things he said was never try to be better than someone else. You have no control over that. And if you get too involved and engrossed and concerned, and maybe these weren't in his exact words, but uh, over things over which you have no control, it will adversely affect the things over which you have control. Now, I, years later, I, I I remember that that so somewhere in the hidden recesses of the mind they stuck there, but. It was things like that. Uh, Mr. Lincoln said, there's nothing stronger than gentleness. And my father was a gentleman in working with animals and things. 
I'm being reading to us every night some of the scriptures, and then I can still close my eyes and hear him reading Hiawatha. I can still hear, by the shores of Gitsugumi, by the shining big sea water, stood the wigwam, I'm the compass, and so on, and things of that sort. <laughs> and, uh, you didn't have any TV, any radio, so in the evening, reading was the primary form of entertainment, wasn't it? Correct. And... Uh, by a coal oil lamp or, or, or candles. <laughs> uh-huh. Was your dad, as, as you think back on his life, you've talked about this this tender side of him, and yet he was still whipping you when you did the wrong thing. Was he a strict <laughs> disciplinarian? Well, I would say yes, but not in a physical point of way. I know, I know, oh, I, I didn't want to get an unkind word from my dad or a strong word. Uh, just... I don't know, you just hated to, to hurt him in any way. You just had that feeling about him. As you followed your dad, uh, you undoubtedly watched how he loved your mother. Oh, yes. Tell us about what you observed there in his commitment to her as a woman and to his wife uh, over their years together. Well, I think dad's uh, first concern was always for mother. He was looking out for her the best he could in every way, but in a gentle way, in a gentle way. And uh, I can picture them together in uh, not you know, the romantic way that you might think, but there was just something between them that was very, very special. I don't know how to describe it. You uh, said of yourself uh, in your book, They Call Me Coach, that as you moved into your high school years, you were shy. Mm-hmm. You were reserved, mm-hmm. especially... With the opposite sex, yes, I suppose uh, not being exposed much, no sisters, and uh, on the farm, and uh, I suppose that's the reason. I don't know, but I I, I was a little shy, and uh, but but here you were, this star basketball player on the on the high school team. I mean, the girls, the cheerleaders, had to notice Johnny Wooden, didn't they? Did they call you Johnny back there, or was it John? They call me lots of things. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be surprised if more than anything it was John Bob. John Bob. John Bob. And Nellie and I had been married for many years when her sister, as I came to, out here to California, and her sister came out here one time and she said, don't you think you and John have been married long enough that you should quit calling him John Bob? And just him <laughs> <laughs> but didn't didn't the girls start to notice you as you were... Draining those uh, those jump shots on the basketball. Yeah, he kind of skirted your answer there. I was yeah. watching him about yeah. that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, my freshman year, I was at, uh, still living on the farm. We didn't lose the farm until after my freshman year, and I commuted uh, from this little town of Center, and we lived about a half mile out of that uh, to Martinsville. And uh, I noticed this one little gal, and. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know, but she had noticed me, too, but I didn't know that. And uh, that summer, she got a brother of her closest friend, who became very dear to me, uh, to drive up. The brother had a car, and they drove up, and I was working in the field, plowing corn with the team, and uh, they parked on the road and motioned for me to come over. I wouldn't go over, and, and, and I just... Kept on and um, well, why wouldn't you go over? Here's this cute girl on the side of the road, and and you even liked her too. Oh yeah, but uh, well, I just I was dirty and uh, and somehow on the first day of classes, we happened to be in the same class. Said, why didn't you? Why didn't you come over and see us? And I said, well, I was dirty and perspiring. You just made fun of me. 
And Nellie said, It's sincere. She said, I would never make fun of you. And I knew right then. There was a spark in her eyes. Yep, and this is the only girl I ever really went with. And, and So by your junior year in high school, did you think, this is the girl I'll marry? I did. And you all started going together? We did. So you waited to marry until you got to college? Yes, until I graduated. We planned to be married until I graduated and, and got my first job, yes. Coach, that's a long courtship from your junior year in high school till you've graduated from college, got your first job. That must have been hard. But, but Bob, the rest of the story is if Nellie hadn't put her foot down. Oh, he might have still be dragging it on well, the day. The, there, there is a rest of the story here because he really had promised her that he was going to marry her upon graduation. Mm-hmm. But then the war came along. Yes. Uh, well, I had a appointment to West Point, and she said, that'd be six more years, and I'm not going to wait. I'm going to a convent. <laughs> so I didn't go to she West said, Point. She said she, wa- she wouldn't wait on you. Yeah, that's right. And so what did you do? Well, I finished at Purdue. So you uh, you were married then? We were married on August 8th. It would have been 70 years just last August 8th that we'd have been married. We were on married on August 8th in 1932. You were, uh, in those days, All-American, three years in a row. You were named the College Player of the Year, your senior year. And uh, as I was doing this research, I, I was thinking, uh, and I was talking to Bob, I was, I don't remember Coach. Coach Wooden being that tall to be college player of the year. I mean, he must must have been 6'3 or 6'4. On the sidelines, just looked a little small around those big guys at at UCLA. But you were only 5'10 in those days. But, you know, uh, the teams weren't as big then either as they are now, too. Uh, Our center at Purdue, uh, Stretch Murphy, was 6'8, and he was a giant. He, uh, I like to, I only had the pleasure of playing with him one year. I had the displeasure of playing against him one year. When I was a sophomore in high school for the Indiana State Championship, he was the center on the opposing team, and he was good. Did you just have what it takes as an athlete? Were you just a naturally gifted, something about the way God made you that that you turned out to be a good basketball player, or did you work really hard to be a good ball player? Well, I, I, I hope I did the latter. But uh, he provided the farmer to <laughs> uh, say that uh, I, I had natural quickness. And um, I couldn't do much about my height, but I could do something about my condition. And I always wanted to be in the best possible condition and hoped that would be better than others, hoped others wouldn't work as hard as I did to do that. And I think uh, I carried that throughout, and I think that helped. And I think that probably come from... Uh, my earlier uh, grade school days on the farm of uh, mm. working hard and, and I uh, I like to feel no one was going to be in better condition than I have no control over others but I, I should have control over myself well we've been listening to uh, a conversation with coach John Wooden actually part one of a conversation that we're going to hear the remainder of over the next couple of days. And what a sweet time, huh? It, it was a great time. Bob, you and I just had a great time. I'd look over at you occasionally, you'd be sitting there grinning, and I'd be grinning. And the reason is, is when we interviewed Coach, he was 91 years old. Mm-hmm. He's now at his 92nd birthday, and uh, I'm told that he knows 
where 180 of his players are. His past players, he's kept in touch with them. I heard about a coach the other day whose players never go back to visit him. Mm-hmm. None of them. It's common knowledge that his players don't want to have anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. And I think about Coach Wooden and the wisdom that he passed on. And it reminds me really of Proverbs chapter 4 where a father is imploring and exhorting a son to listen, my son, and acquire wisdom. And I'll tell you, just hanging with the coach for the... The interview we did uh, over an hour and a half, mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to air all of it here on the broadcast over the next couple of days, but just hanging with him, you thought, what would it have been like to have played mm. for a coach like that? And then it hit me, you know, that's what our children need to be need to be expressing about us as parents. You know, we learned, we sat under the greatest mom, the greatest dad, the greatest coach, the greatest teacher the world has ever known. Yeah, they're going to be biased, but the idea is that we as parents, we're impacting the next generation just like Coach Wooden did. That's right. You mentioned the the entire interview going more than an hour and a half long. We've actually taken the complete interview and put it on two CDs, and I got some early copies of these CDs, and I'll tell you what I've found. You can pass these out to lots of folks. You can pass them out to the high school coach at the high school where your kids go. Oh, let me tell you something. I've been doing this, and I've had friends doing this. Any coach of any sport, uh, Laura's volleyball coach, mm-hmm. I gave her a copy of this, and she grabbed hold of it like it was gold. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, it is gold. Well, it's thoughts on life from a great coach, but it's also thoughts on faith yes, and character right, and what really matters. You can use this as a way to begin a dialogue and to open doors evangelistically with fans of the game, with uh, coaches, with players, with friends. We have the two-CD set that features the entire, I think it's about an hour and 45-minute long conversation with Coach John Wooden. It's available in our Family Life Resource Center. You can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to request as many copies as you want. Even yeah. looks even looks like a basketball right. on one side and a net on the other. 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, then the word today. You can also order online at familylife.com. Ask for the two-CD set of our conversation with Coach John Wooden when you contact us. And there's a, a second resource we want to mention to you as well. Coach Wooden has put together a course that is designed to teach his principles of success in business, in athletics, in school. We have a video cassette where Coach lays out the pyramid of success that he put together. And we have the pyramid on our website at familylife.com, but we also have it on a mouse pad that you can have by your computer just to review the character qualities that go into success in any endeavor. Along with the video and the mouse pad, we've got a wallet card. Not just any wallet card. No, it's a laminated. A laminated. <laughs> That's right. And it has uh, some of the coach's philosophy on it. Never lie. Never cheat. Never steal. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't make excuses. <laughs> Pretty simple stuff, but profound nonetheless. Uh, ask for these resources when you call 1-800-FL-TODAY. Again, it's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, then the word TODAY. Or go online at familylife.com, and you can see some of the resources there, and you can order online as well. Again, our website is familylife.com. When you do get in touch with us, someone is likely to ask if you'd like to help with a donation to Family Life Today. And we hope when they ask, if you're able, you'll say yes. 
and be able to add a donation to the work of this ministry. We're a nonprofit organization, and we depend on those contributions to keep doing what we're doing. So if you can't help with the donation, you can donate online at FamilyLife.com. You can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to donate, or you can write a check and mail it to us at Family Life Today, Box 8220, Little Rock, Arkansas. The zip code is 72221. Once again, it's Family Life Today at Box 8220, Little Rock, Arkansas, and our zip code is 72221. Well, tomorrow we're going to find out how the UCLA dynasty almost never happened and how it might have been the Minnesota dynasty if it hadn't been for a snowstorm. Yeah, this is a great story <laughs> we'll on hear lost that. opportunity. We'll hear that tomorrow as we continue our conversation with Coach John Wooden. Hope you can be with us for that. I want to thank our engineer, Robbie Neal, our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We will see you back tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ.